All right, so today we are going to be talking about Joppa, um, and I'm calling the, the title of this class A Tale of Two Missionaries, and you'll see why in a little bit. Uh, but Joppa was one of my very favorite cities that we visited um, when I went to Israel, and I think you'll see why when I get to some of the pictures here. Uh, but Joppa also goes by a few other names. Uh, so today it's known as uh, either Yafo, which is the Hebrew of this. So when um, when the Germans translated Hebrew, they turned all of the Y's into J's, which is why we have Jehovah for Yahweh. And so Yafo became Joppa. Um, and so today in, in Israel, it's called um, Yafo or sometimes um, Jaffa. Um, as if you've ever been to England and had Jaffa cakes, um, they have orange cream in the middle of them and it's from Jaffa oranges. So those are very popular. Um, there are millions and millions of those uh, sold every year. They're very coveted around that region. Um, so let's see. Jaffa uh, or Joppa is about 40 miles from Jerusalem um, and it's kind of, it's part of the metropolitan area of Tel Aviv so it's kind of, it's called Tel Aviv Yafo uh, it's kind of like Dallas Fort Worth it's one uh, it started out as Jaffa and then a group of people that lived in um, in Joppa moved north to Tel Aviv um, and then the cities kind of grew in together um, it's now one big metropolitan area Tel Aviv is slightly to the north uh, it's much uh, newer sky skyscrapers. Um, it doesn't have the stone. It has more of the um, steel and glass windows and all of that. Just a very striking difference between those two cities. Um, so this is where it is on a map. So you can see Tel Aviv, Yafo here. Um, Nazareth is up here. Jerusalem is here, roughly about 40 miles away. Um, and Joppa was very important to the people that lived there. Uh, it was very often um, seized by you know, neighboring armies. Um, anytime that there was a war, Jaffa was a main place to, um, to seize because it had a natural port. Uh, so we hear about Joppa a number of times in the Bible, but a couple of times uh, we hear about it as being the port of entry where the cedars of Lebanon uh, came from to build both Solomon's temple and the second temple. So this would have been a very important port, um, very natural port. Um, and then did I mention the name Jaffa means beautiful? Did I say that? Okay, perfect. Um, any questions so far? Great. All right, this is a picture of Jaffa. Also, isn't it beautiful? I could have stayed there for forever. This was our last day in Israel. We had, it was so hot. Um, everywhere else, um, you know, desert. You can just imagine being, um, you know, a, a Hebrew person who has been wandering in the wilderness or who has been in the desert, um, walking 40 miles from dry, dusty Jerusalem and then coming upon this, like it had to have seemed like paradise. It did for me at least anyway. But you can see, so these are some of the old buildings and you see that beautiful white um, stone. Um, and you see a lot of this in Jerusalem as, as well. Um, and that is the natural stone from the area that they would have built their houses out of. So this is the old part of Jaffa. And up here on the coast, that is Tel Aviv. So you can see just how close it is. Um, and then you can also see, it's hard to tell in this picture, but um, kind of up here in this direction, you can see just how much of the coastline you can see, just for miles and miles and miles. So again, not only was it a port city, it also was slightly elevated, about 40 meters. Um, and then as 
that, that was kind of the baseline was 40 meters. And then of course, as the tell grew, as there were more sieges and ransacks and there were more cities built on top of it, it got even taller. And so you could just see for miles and miles any ships that could be coming on the shore just for miles. And so it was a really um, strategic place to be. <clears throat> Um, so it's first, it's a very old city. Um, the last time I spoke with you, we talked about, um, oh, uh, thank you. I was trying to say Caesarea, uh, Capernaum, um, which was a fairly new city. It's only mentioned in the New Testament. It wasn't in the Old Testament, but this city is very, very ancient. Again, because of that natural port, um, it was first inhabited, they believe around 7,500 BCE. And there are uh, mentions of Yafo or uh, Joppa in, um, in um, Aramaic text in um, Egyptian text. It was just very, um, very strategic place. Um, let's see. Um, so again, this is another view of it, and you can kind of see again that coastline and just how far out you can see. Um, and I'm going to go back to this original picture. So it's hard to see here, but on the other side of this building, kind of over here, you get a, a little bit of a glimpse of it. Um, so those are some rocks that kind of jut up out of the water a little bit. Um, and those have an interesting history as well. So in Greek mythology, that is where they believe Andromeda was chained uh, as part of her punishment. So she was chained to those rocks and constantly tormented by a sea monster until um, Perseus, I believe, came and rescued her, unchained her, and then of course married her. So um, it's got fun little Greek mythology in there as well. Um, let's see. So I said that it was mentioned as a port of entry for the cedars of Lebanon, but again, it was also um, mentioned in the Jonah story as the port through which Jonah fleed the Lord. So this is a map of uh, Jonah's journey. So we know that his father was from Gath Hefer. Um, and so we believe this is where he was from as well. And so the Lord told him, go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites who were part of the Assyrian um, dynasty at that time. And so you can see Nineveh is this direction up here, but instead Jonah headed south to Joppa hopped on a boat, and then you can see the arrow goes this way because somewhere down here, he was tossed overboard uh, in, a sh in a storm and swallowed by a fish. And a few days later, he was vomited back up onto dry ground and likely went back to Joppa to get on a, um, to begin his journey to Nineveh, which he finally does do after that. So again, he was going to Tarshish in Spain or Portugal, uh, way far away from Nineveh. So he wasn't just running away from God. He was getting as far away as he possibly could. Um, so if we want to read that story together, um, if you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles, if you have them to the book of Jonah. Okay. <laughs> 
So most of us in here know this story. Um, we heard it as little children going, growing up. We heard about Jonah who um, did not do what God told him to, ran away, was swallowed, spent three days in the belly of a whale, was spit back out on dry land, and then did what God told him to. And I think most of us also know, um, so in chapter three, God tells him, get up and go back to Nineveh. Um, and deliver the message I have given you. Now, so Nineveh is part of the Assyrian, um, the Assyrian Empire at this time, and Assyria was nasty, y'all. They were, they were awful. Like the, the stories of what the Assyrians did to the people that they conquered is, um, is truly horrifying. They, they had a presence of fear, um, so they, they did not want to have to conquer um, people, they wanted everybody to be so afraid of them that they would just give up when they came into their cities. And so stories of what they did to um, entire towns, to children, to animals, to, to people is truly horrifying. So Jonah had probably good reason to not want to go to Nineveh, uh, which was a major um, city for the Assyrian, um, the Assyrian um, government. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of, of anything today that would be like it, and I can't, I can't even compare. Um, however, God tells him, go and tell them, repent, and you can be saved. And Jonah knows God. Jonah knows that if they truly repent, God will forgive them. And that doesn't sit very well with Jonah. Um, he doesn't want these people to be forgiven. He doesn't think that they deserve forgiveness. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I can think of people in my own life that I have felt that way about um, and groups of people I think that collectively um, we in the United States or in the West think that about. So I want you to maybe imagine those people um, when we talk about this story. So this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. I'm in chapter uh, 3 um, verse 4. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, oh, oh, Yes, verse 3, it says, And went to Nineveh, a city so large, it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. In Hebrew, that is only four words. So he preached a four-word sermon. He walked one day into a three-day's journey of a city. Uh, so about a third of the way into the city, preached a four-word sermon. And lo and behold, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat on the heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even now, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And then when God saw that they, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he has, had threatened. So Jonah was successful. Jonah was a successful prophet. He went in and preached this uh, very well thought out sermon. I mean, he spent so much time on it. He really wanted to convert these people, right? No. So he's, he's disappointed. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. 
And there is no happy ending to this story. Jonah stays angry, Jonah stays bitter, and that is pretty much what we're left with here. So um, our next story that I want to talk about is Peter and Cornelius. So um, if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts, uh, we want to start in chapter 9 and then we'll move to chapter 10. So Peter um, was in, um, in a town that was very close to Joppa when he received word um, that Tabitha, uh, who is also called Dorcas, had gotten very sick and passed away. And she was uh, one of the great um, disciples of that time. She was very well known. Um, this would have been a huge blow to that area. Um, she was very well loved according to scripture. And so Peter then uh, decides to make the short trip to Joppa. And um, when he gets there, he heals her and all of the saints and the women that are there in that presence are rejoicing greatly. And Peter decides that he wants to stay. Um, I think, you know, he probably thought, oh, wow, look at this view. I definitely want to stay here a few days. Uh, so he was staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. And uh, that house, um, I don't know if you can see it in this picture, but written up here it says House of Simon the Tanner. Um, and so you can see it has a flat roof. Um, a lot of these old stone buildings uh, did have those flat roofs on top. Um, and so there's there is quite a bit of debate. This likely is not really Simon the Tanner's original house. The structure is too new to uh, truly have been um, Simon the Tanner's home. Uh, however, it could certainly have been built on top of it. Uh, and the, the description in, um, in Acts does say, um, let's see, that it was right by the sea. Um, Yes, so in, in verse 6, he says he's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. And this is right, I mean, you, if you go up on the roof, you're immediately just go going to see the ocean just a stone's throw away. Um, and so Peter um, goes up on the roof to pray. Um, so in, as was Jewish custom, they prayed multiple times a day. And this was <laughs> likely one of the times of the day that he would have gone to pray. So he's up on this roof. He's praying. I'm sure it's hot. There's zero shade. Um, it's likely around lunchtime. He's probably hungry and he has a vision. Um, and anybody remember what his vision is about? Cornelius. Yes. So what did you say? It was about? Well, the, the sheep's lowered and the food choices. He's told that he, he can't Yes. So the massive sheets come down from heaven. They're filled with all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And God says, kill and eat. Uh, Peter says, no, God, absolutely not. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. This happens two more times, so a total of three times that God says, kill, eat. And uh, Peter says, no, absolutely not. Um, and it's just very easy to see up on this roof, um, there would be ships that had massive sails. Another, another way that you could translate the word sheet is sail. And so um, in his state of probably um, hunger, um, prayer, devotion, um, heat, seeing those sails, it's, it's easy to imagine that his dream would have been about one of those massive um, sails from the ships that he was seeing just right there in front of him. Um, and so while he is having this vision, at the exact same time, a man named Cornelius is having a vision of his own. 
and Cornelius lives um, just a little bit north um, north of here. Um, let's see. It would have been about a two days journey. And so Cornelius, he doesn't have the elaborate vision that Peter does. Uh, his vision is very straightforward. It says, in the town of Joppa, there is a man named Simon Peter who is staying with a man named Simon the Tanner. Go and get him because he has an important message for you. Um, and so Cornelius sends some of his men uh, on this two-day journey and they get there, they start talking, um, and Peter realizes that the same time he was having this vision, Cornelius was having a vision of his own. And I would like for us to read that together. So if we start in chapter 10, verse 19, if somebody wouldn't mind reading um, to about 33, and then we'll have somebody pick up and read 34 through the rest of the chapter. So it's a good chunk, um, and I know uh, that can be hard to read sometimes, but this is so good. It's For me, I think this is one of the most important passages in um, the New Testament church's history. I think um, we'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, I think this is absolutely critical. Um, and so if you would please um, listen closely as we read. So if you read, please speak up with the, um, the air conditioner. It can be a little, little loud in here. So starting in verse 19 through 33, somebody wouldn't mind reading that, please. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he can hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from, the, from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered into the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. Talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at, at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And if somebody wouldn't mind finishing us out 34 through the end of the chapter.
speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened uh, throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John uh, that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All right. Thank you guys so much for reading that. So you can see now why I called the title of the class A Tale of Two Missionaries, because on the one hand, we have Jonah, who was sent to preach a message to the Ninevites. Um, and we also have, on the other hand, uh, Peter, who um, encounters a Gentile and um, God sends them together in order that Peter might preach to the Gentiles. Um, so keeping that in mind, um, and if you um, so just to kind of recap what we read, uh, basically Peter, when he arrives at Cornelius's house, has said, I finally understand what this vision means. It means I should not call any person clean or unclean. So he's realizing this is not just about animals. This is also about people and the labels that I have been giving to people all of this time. And so then he starts, he goes into Cornelius's house, which is not something that you would have done. Um, they say in here, it's not proper for Jews to go into the house of a Gentile, um, but they are saying, okay, we know we recognize now there's no longer a distinction between clean and unclean, so we are going to go into your house. And then Peter starts preaching about Jesus, and as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his entire household. So they were not they were baptized after this. They did not receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptized. Um, they received the Holy Spirit as they were healing it, uh, as they were hearing this. Um, and so I just love the way the Holy Spirit works in this text because the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I really mean this. They really can be a part of this. You cannot argue with me. I'm not going to put any restrictions on this. Um, and so Peter has absolutely no choice but to follow suit. And a couple of chapters later in uh, chapter 15 of Acts, um, they have the, the Jerusalem Council where they're deciding what to do about this Gentile problem. And Peter gets up and says, listen, like I can't, I can't argue with the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit did. What, what would you have done in this situation? And so it just really gives them um, the clear perspective perspective that this is what uh, they're supposed to do um, with um, the Gentile problem as they were seeing it. 
Um, so questions, what stands out to you from these stories? You can say what stood out to you from the Jonah story, from the Cornelia story, or um, in how they work together. So just anything at all, what stands out to you? Well, they're both stories about race and ethnicity. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just like the Jews hated the Syrians and, you know, back then and in the present day, I mean, in the time of Peter, they didn't like the Romans. Absolutely. And Cornelius was not any Roman. He was a Roman officer. So he would have been, he was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was not just an ordinary old Roman citizen. He was... He was part of the Roman machine that was terrorizing the Jews and others in that area. So that's a great point. Yes, sir. And just the fact that people from these other nations um, were open to God's presence and calling. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Sometimes um, in Scripture it's very clear that the people that that thought they were the people of God um, were very exclusive and thought that title belonged only to them, but God is very clear, even in the Old Testament, no, no, this message is for everyone. What else stood out to you guys? God, uh, in, a, in a dramatic way, got Jonah back on track, and Peter, he, he had the vision appear three times. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. It's interesting when those two things come, because if when when you when you look at what God tells Jonah to do, God says to Jonah, "Go into Nineveh and preach against yes. these people." Yes. Because. Their wickedness has come before me. Yep, forty and days so, and you'll be destroyed. Was the message? Yeah, but but but, but yeah, and and that's when Jonah decides to run away. So yep. from 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 the way the story is told, we get very little information, mm-hmm. and the the comparable equivalent of that would be go into the most dangerous place on earth and say you guys are wrong. I mean, and we and we, and we see how well these days when you go and tell somebody how wicked they are, how well it works out for right. you. Right. It's usually received very well, yes. Yeah. Doesn't uh, upset people you know, at so, all. I mean, so so what, what, the way the story's told, what God is telling Jonah to do looks for all the world like a death mission. Yes. Because God is not saying to Jonah, oh, these Ninevites are ready to hear the word. They're, he's just saying, they're bad. Go tell them how bad they are. With Peter, Peter gets... Um, gets groomed for it. Hmm. You know, it, it's, it's a lot more subtle. Uh, the first thing that we learn is actually that Cornelius is ready to hear this. Yes. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, because the thing they have in common is they're both very powerful entities that they are supposed to go speak to. Right. But we know going in, Cornelius is ready to hear. We don't know that about Nineveh. Right. Um, and, and, and so I, th- I think, I think that's interesting how they're, they're prepared because Jonah doesn't, seem to get the same kind of preparation right that peter does absolutely and you make a good point um about about 
the mission was to go and speak against um, Nineveh. Uh, but Jonah does tell God, I know what kind of God you are. I know you're a forgiving God. I knew this was going to happen. I knew they were going to repent and that you would forgive them. Um, so I just find that interesting too, is, is he's already kind of got an inkling um, of what God might be up to in this scenario. So anything else? Yes, sir. Uh, God uh, pushes back a lot of times. Jonah didn't want to go, mm -hmm. and he was not a willing missionary, but God made him go anyway. And Peter, the same way as Ryan said, he, he really probably didn't want to do this. And, and you notice when he went back to Jerusalem, they hit him up hard. Yes. What were you doing down there? So Peter makes a long explanation. So a lot of times God uses us when we're unwilling or reluctant or resistant to things to uh, absolutely absolutely well, and i would even add to that brian and i have talked about this before god often calls you to do things you don't really want to do and so what we have said before is if you feel like god's calling you to do something to give you fame or glory or you know something the, you really really want to do it's probably right. not God <laughs> yeah. but, but, if it's, but if you are being nudged and pushed and prodded and directed and it's like oh I don't want to do that I don't want to do that I don't want to do that yeah you know, but you do it anyway that probably is more likely a God calling absolutely than the other I think that's a very important point is God is constantly pulling us forward. He does not want us to stay where we are. Um, so show of hands, who has ever had an experience where they felt like God was calling them to something uh, that was difficult, that they didn't want to do? Um, any, has that happened to anyone in here? Yes, yes. Nobody's willing to admit it? <laughs> um, so those are all great points. Anybody else have anything they want to add? All right. Um, so we talked a little bit about this um, in our observations, but what differences do you see in Jonah versus in Peter in their response, in uh, what God was saying, just in general, not, not necessarily in them, but in the stories? What differences do we see? Let's hear from the back row. Anybody got any thoughts? Something you said uh, about Jonah made me think of him in, in, a, in a different way than Peter because Peter's seems to be more socially abstract, I guess, for lack of a better term. Hmm. Peter just doesn't think that his message is for those people. Right. Jonah just doesn't like those people. And, those, and has a pretty good idea that the message is for those people. Right. And he just doesn't want those people to have it. Right. And, and I, I, I think that's a, that's a key difference. I'm not quite sure how that unpacks through the stories. Yeah, no, but, that's a good point. But there's, there's, a, there's, there's a difference in hmm. that. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest difference is Peter didn't run. Right. He did what he was has to do mm -hmm. or appears that way. I mean, somebody had to come get him, I'll say that, and take him to right. there, whereas no one really came and got Jonah and took him to Nineveh. But Peter did what he was asked to do, and Jonah mm -hmm. ran. Absolutely. That's a difference. 
a huge difference for sure. Well, and Jonah, Jonah stayed mad about it. Yes, yes. You know, Jonah, I mean. <coughs> Absolutely. There's not a follow-up story where Jonah goes back and says, well, this is what God wanted to do, so I guess, you know, we Jews have to accept that. He, he just stays angry. Anything else as far as differences that you noticed? All right, so obviously the next question is going to be what similarities do you see in these stories? Again, I know we touched on some of these, but I think that there are some more that we can find. Yes, sir. Well, both of them were taken out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. to one extent or an even greater extent. And so when you ask the question about who's faced this, we don't typically see the kinds of things that we've seen here, but, but something that we didn't feel totally comfortable with yeah. and that we'd rather not do, given the choice, that sort of thing. And, um, but yeah, these were, that was a similarity. Absolutely. Didn't like what they were Yes, their audiences. Oh, I was just going to say along those lines, like connecting them with other people to spread the good news of Jesus, or yes. the good news that they, you know, with, with people they might not connect with. Right, before. absolutely. Or people that they thought couldn't hear this message. People they thought, to, to Brian's point earlier, weren't worthy of this message. They weren't clean, so they couldn't hear this. They were terrible people. They didn't deserve this message. Um, so it was, in both cases, challenging um, those who thought that they were God's people, challenging their perspective of who is who is called by God, who is chosen by God. Go ahead. Say, both, both of their audiences so immediately and so completely Yes. At the first hearing, that it was clearly not about Jonah or Peter. It was very clearly about God doing the work. Absolutely. Um, so that's a that's a great message for me and for us today. Is that it ain't about you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other similarities? God succeeded in his mission. Yes. Absolutely. What else have you heard of somebody being swallowed by a fish for three days? He'll do anything. Right. To succeed. To Keely's point, it doesn't matter who it is, how it gets there, he's going to make it work. Absolutely. And I suspect, had Jonah run again, God would have found another way to get to Nineveh. Um, I suspect that Peter eventually, um, though he has this, is, is still not known for spreading the good news to, um, to the Gentiles. He, he is a major uh, player in the Jerusalem um, um, convention there and the discussions there, um, but Paul is the one that goes to the Gentiles. And so, um, so he was used for his purposes and there were others that came after, after for other purposes. Um, so as some people have mentioned, God is the primary player in both of these stories. Um, and I think that, um, you know, as much as we want to get caught up in what these people were doing um, and the stories themselves and where they happened, um, the bottom line is God and the Spirit are, are 
permeated throughout this story. Um, and I'm just curious as to what you picked up on and how God was working um, in all of these scenarios. Like Brian said, the Spirit was working in Nineveh before, way before. Absolutely. Jonah showed up. Absolutely. It was like they were on the ledge. He just had to push them off. Um, and I guess in, in all these stories. But Absolutely. Yeah. I, l I love that. I love that our mission is not to go to go out and change the world. Our mission is to see where God is already changing the world and partner in that mission for him. This is not something we have to do alone. We have God on our side and we all we have to do is follow uh, what God is already doing in the world. What else? So as I mentioned earlier, the reason that I think this is so incredibly important um, to church history is because of this conversion story, this Peter and Cornelius story. Um, Christianity would look very different if it had not been for the very clear way that the Spirit was speaking and saying, no, this message is for the Gentiles. Um, there's probably very few people in this room who would be Christians today if it had not been for um, this this conversation and the way that the Spirit worked in this situation. Um, and I just love how the Spirit is working. You can't put the Spirit in a box. You can't tell the Spirit what to do. The Spirit says, no, I'm going to go ahead and fall on these people who haven't been baptized. I know for us Church of Christ people, we might be looking at this being like, wait, wait a second. They weren't baptized first, but they weren't. This was, this was the way that the Spirit was saying, no, I will be with these people. You can baptize them afterwards, but they have already received the Spirit of God. They already have what sets the, the God's people apart is the Spirit, and they have already received it. So I just love that. What else? How else do you see God and the Spirit working? Why do you think these stories matter to us today? Why do you think we keep reading stories like this today? How have they shaped you in your own life? Do you think they are just good stories? Do you think that they're, they have something to teach us today? Well, this is, this is the key, right besides the resurrection right. and everything. This is it. I, 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 I think, could anybody else have introduced uh, Gentiles to, to Christianity besides Peter. And I think back and I think, well, maybe John, but you know, God and his infinite wisdom had this design from the very beginning that this thing would take place. Hmm. And he didn't be giving hints all along uh, Rahab and everybody else. You know, <coughs> these, these Gentiles are not the unclean people that you think. Mm -hmm. So this is it. And uh, we, 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 we can put a big circle around this scripture because this is the turn. This, hey, we're in now. Absolutely. <laughs> We've been in all along, but now this is it. Absolutely. That's great. And, and one thing that stands out to me is that the people that... Um, that are in, the people that are on the inside are the ones that are going to those who are considered outsiders. Um, and so I think that that is a message for, for us as well is to reconsider who we think is the outsider and to, and to not 
um, when it comes to matters of justice, when it comes to matters of um, enlarging our table, inviting more people to the table, um, I don't think that we should be waiting for other people to come to us the way that Peter had to wait for Cornelius. I think we should be going out and seeking uh, those people and bringing them to the table. Um, but that's just my perspective on things. And then one more question, and then we will end for the day. Um, so how does the theme of conversion play out in these stories? There's a lot of conversions that happen in both stories. But it started with Jonah and Peter. They had to be converted into saying that yes. this is okay to do. Yes. And I want you to do it. Absolutely. So it started with those two. Absolutely. If Peter had not first been converted in his way of thinking about what was right and what was wrong and what was clean and what was unclean, the conversion of Cornelius could not have happened. Absolutely. What else? Yes, ma'am. I keep thinking about the Ninevites, how they were so notorious and all of that. How did the Spirit work on them that when Jonah came, they must have been, maybe they were sick of themselves. Hmm. You know, maybe they were just couldn't live with themselves anymore. They were ready that way. Hmm. So, you know, so you can look at other people in today's world and think, you know, evil, doing wrong, criminals, whatever, that maybe they're ready. Absolutely. I'm just I'm 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 wondering about who he spoke to in Nineveh and who who it was doing the converting. Because you know, if you if you read the the stories about the Assyrians, that's that's all about the military power. Right. That was that was what they were known for, that's what they did, mm -hmm. that's what they recorded. You know, it was always the king doing it. And I don't know that it was the king that he was talking to, and it's not. Yeah, you know, and, there, and there's there's always a difference, though. It, though it's it's hard to see from a distance. Yeah. There's a difference between the people at the top and right. everybody else. Yes. Now in Jonah, it does say the king heard, and the king had the decree that said you had to have okay. that. But Jonah, I don't think Jonah went and preached to him. I think he heard about it through other people. But. Um, the prophets, Jonah, it's very clear throughout all the prophets that, um, that it, it's not as individualistic as we think about it today. The community as a whole is responsible for the community's sin. And so if you're not speaking out against it, if you're not working to bring justice, um, then you are part of the problem, whether you are personally going and torturing other people or not. So um, I think that's a, that's a really important point um, and something that we see all over the New Testament. So it is time to go. I have really enjoyed um, this discussion and I hope that when you think of Joppa um, that you will consider conversion and you will consider how in your own lives you might need to be converted in your own life how your view of thinking about who is clean and unclean and who is in and who is out might need to be changed. So have a blessed day everyone. <laughs>